on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. Francis Leach here. G'day. How are you? Hope your week's been a good one and uh, you've been able to get stuff done. It's been hard to get stuff done. Whatever it is you've been uh, tasked with doing of recent, whether it's getting back to work, uh, maybe you've got uh, kids returning to school, maybe they're going to school for the first time, whatever it is, it's difficult because we know supply chains and logistics uh, a stretch to the limit because of the pandemic, the lack of planning around providing rapid antigen tests, people having to be furloughed uh, in order to remain safe and well. All of these things have compounded. There's no doubt about it. And it's also, as a consequence, put enormous pressure on our transport workers who have already been working in the most uh, difficult and stressful circumstances well before the pandemic began. And that's only become worse as the demand for quick delivery, being able to get things on shelves, being able to deliver on time has mounted during this pandemic. So much so that our uh, comrades at the Transport Workers Union have uh, said it's time to have a serious discussion about what we expect of our transport workers, our truckies, our drivers, and people involved in the industry, and what needs to change. For so long, we've just presumed that the thing that we ordered is going to turn up on time, that if we walked into a supermarket or a shop, what we want is going to be on the shelf. We don't think about how it gets there. It sort of just magically appears because everything is run smoothly. Well, it is up to our transport workers to make that happen. And even though they've been working under duress for a long time, they've been brilliant in doing so. But I think we've hit a tipping point. So Sally and I got together, Sally Rugg and I got together with Nick McIntosh from the Transport Workers uh, Union to talk about this issue and to talk about the perils that transport workers are facing as we head into, can you believe it, a third year of the COVID pandemic and what needs to change. Here's our chat with Nick McIntosh. Sally, we know at the moment around Australia when we walk into a shop or a store and we look at the shelves and all the things we used to presume would be there aren't there. And it's made us stop and think once again that there's a whole very well-organised, hard-working industry that makes it possible for us to have the goods and services on our shelves or available to us when and where we like them. And suddenly, it isn't as easy as it once was. But this is coming at a time when there's enormous pressure on people who work transporting our goods and services. Yeah, and I think transport workers generally are quite an invisible workforce, We'll see trucks on the road and if you are on the road or if you are receiving a delivery, then you'll see these kinds of workers. But so many of them will work through the night with sort of large logistical projects and jobs to be doing. And so, yeah, the rest of us kind of just wake up in the morning and everything's, you know, the shelves are filled, the supplies have arrived and, yeah, the, the workforce can go largely unseen. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to Nick. That's right. Nick McIntosh joins us from the Transport Workers Union. Nick, what's your official title? You must have an official. You're union official. You've got to have a long and involved title. I'll tell you what, I once had a long one, and this said my official title is Assistant National Secretary, but when I was down in... Um Wollongong, it was once called the South Coast and Southern Subbranch Secretary. So this is a little bit easy now, Francis. <laughs> Welcome to On The Job. Uh, look, just quickly, a bit of a, an overall, uh, you know, 
State of the Nation check on your members and transport workers. How are they coping? It's been a really rough summer. There's been a lot going on. Yeah, look, it's, I mean, it's been extremely difficult, as you say. They've had two years of hell, really. They, they've been on the front line of this pandemic. Um, they've, uh, you know, been doing it at a time initially where there was no vaccines. They couldn't get vaccines. Then, then now they've tr- struggled to get boosters. And, and um, uh, you know, they, they've been on this front line. It's very, very difficult. Many of them have worked excessive hours and then they've had periods where they've had to be in isolation and they they've not been properly remunerated for that so it's been very hard but um but look transport workers are tough people they know what it's like to do it tough out there so they'll hang in there uh, but to tell you what they could they could do with a hell of a lot more help than they're getting right now and what is that kind of help what are like what are the the things that they're missing at the moment well look uh, sally it's been a real shambles in terms of transport, the, the government's response to this pandemic. I mean, we'd initially tried to say, well, transport workers need to get priority vaccinations. And that was a long fight to get that to happen. And in some instances, it didn't even eventuate. It's the same with boosters. It's the same with trying to get access to uh, RATs that the transport workers don't have. And of course, the, the issue that has affected them probably more than anything is the constant changing of rules when it comes to borders. We've had issues where people will turn up at a border somewhere having driven for, you know, 24 hours in some instances all around the country and they'll get to a border and be told, oh, well, you don't have a negative test. You can't come in until you do. And it's two in the morning. And what are they meant to do about that? It's not like there's on the on the Stewart Highway or something, there's just all these uh PCR tests waiting for them to happen. So it's been extremely difficult. They've copped the brunt of it. And just some really basic coordination between governments and some basic, basic things would have helped out a, a lot over the last two years. You must have heard some really distressing stories, Nick, from you know people who uh, have found themselves in a circumstance like that, have been stranded, uh, might have also not been able to get home for important occasions or for health emergencies. It must be, you know, it must be pretty constant, that sort of circumstance that people are finding themselves in. Well, that's right. And I guess one of the things that people have to remember, Francis, is a lot of heavy vehicle drivers uh, either run their own businesses, they're, they're the smallest business of all. So really, if they don't cover the distance and they can't get deliveries done, they don't get paid or they're paid by the kilometre. So if they suddenly stop at a border and they've got to stop there for 24 hours or they get turned backwards, they might have spent three days and thousands of kilometres coming out of their own back pocket. That stuff in and of itself is tough because then you're not putting the food on the table. Of course, uh, they're getting exposed and then they're having to stay away from their, their families and their children um, because they're worried about exposing them. So that, that takes a real mental uh, and financial toll on people and, uh, and, and they've really, really done it hard over the last two years. God, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know that about the truck driving industry, that quite so many people were self-employed or, you know, it's their, their own small business. I, I didn't realise the extent of that. That's extraordinary. Nick, while we're on the topic of truckies, I think you would have seen in the last couple of days, there's been this big sort of truckie convoy purportedly heading to, to Canberra to sort of voice their displeasure at all of this. Can you tell us what you know about that and, and what the general view of that protest is Look, I don't know too much about it. We're, we're certainly not associated with it. I mean, from time to time, you get these, they call, always call themselves convoys, whether or not they're really made up of truck drivers or whether there's a few trucks and a lot of hangers on. And I suspect uh, in some instances, it's the, it's the latter here. 
so uh, and, and we saw the same thing, by the way, six years ago when there were protests against the then RSRT and there was a, allegedly these massive convoys and it was a, a couple of particular employees that weren't happy with it that paid their people for the for the couple of days to go and drive down there. So I never pay too much attention to these things because I, I don't think they're particularly representative of the industry. And to be honest with you, Transport workers mainly just want to get on with business and get on and do the job. Most of them, as I said, don't have time to take that amount of time out to drive to Canberra and, and probably do so at their own expense. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that there aren't some transport workers that would believe in the different um, things that this particular convoy purports to represent, but by and large, that's not my experience. People have got concerns about different things and normally they, they go through different channels and we, and we deal with those issues. But as I said, most people are just trying to uh, get by at the moment and, and deal with all these different issues they're facing in the industry. There was quite a few um, recognisable faces at this truckies convoy protest that I was like, oh, I've, I've seen you from every other anti-lockdown, anti-vax protests. Like, huh, so you're a truckie now. Like, I thought you were, I thought you were a health worker. I thought you were part of the CFMMEU. I reckon your assessment is probably... Well, I think, Sally, too, that sometimes if you take if you, if you take a picture and you remember when Abbott was in front of all those horrible signs with Gillard and the carbon tax and you, you look at the alleged convoy against safe rates and you could probably look at all of them and say all its changes that some of these people have gotten 10 years older. So I think you're right. Again, I'm not saying that some people don't have that view or some people don't have concerns about about various issues and, and that's fine and that's fair enough. But as I said, by and large, I think most people just want to get on with it. So, Nick, what's the understanding from within the industry why the supply chains have broken down or have been under such enormous stress? From from on the ground, from your members and the work mm. they do, what's their perception of it? I think the main issue, uh, Francis, is that when the decision was essentially made just to let Omicron rip, and particularly led by the New South Wales Premier, and all sort of pretense of restrictions were, were dropped. Of course, what that meant was that a lot of people were coming to work infected or suddenly they were exposed when that wasn't as easy before. So when we were going on on all those WHS rules that existed at that time in transport, a lot of people either caught COVID or were close contacts and, and simply couldn't work. And that, that meant in some cases, some companies, some good union companies had on any given day between 30 to 50% of their workforce off. Um, and we're talking about companies that are charged with getting containers off the wharf and delivering it to different distribution centres. I know Woolies and Coles within distribution centres within their transport supply chains had 20 to 30% of people off at various times. And I think it was because um, we'd never had a, a situation where the wave got so bad uh, that so many people were either getting it or were close contacts. And, and, and we've always said if they'd had RATs available, and we wrote to the government in June and July, in September, October, with industry bodies saying, this is going to happen at some point. Uh, you need RAT so that people can come into work, they can test themselves. Uh, if they get by, fantastic. If not, they go home and isolate. Uh, and, of course, that didn't work. And we know what happened over Christmas, particularly in Sydney, uh, is that people couldn't get PCR results for days and days and days, and that meant that they're isol whether they had it or not, they're isolating, and that meant massive worker shortages. So the government was just at both levels were completely unprepared and just didn't know what to do. So just with that, the pressure on the workers must have been enormous, and we know the expectations were because you had politicians saying that you know the supply chains would get fixed, and and of course the Christmas retail rush, it must have been hellish 
for, for people who felt the pressure to get stuff on the shelves in order to meet Christmas demand. It must have uh, had quite an impact. Oh, yeah. And this is when we started seeing all these different government Band-Aid salute. Well, they're not really solutions, but Band-Aid um, alleged fixes where first and foremost, we saw companies starting to say to people, uh, well, look, just come in. Look, if you've isolated for a few days, that's fine. Just come on in. If you're positive, don't worry about it. Just come in. We need someone in a truck. We had a bus driver who was positive who said, I've got dizzy spells, I've got headaches, I can't drive this bus. And the employer said, no, no, just just keep on going. And not only is that a risk for passengers who could catch COVID, but, I mean, worse, the, the bloke could pretty easily have, have crashed the bus with a full load of passengers on it. Um, we, we saw all these things because in, the problem in, in transport is that even employers that want to do the right thing, and there are many of them, get forced into these positions where they have to say to workers, well, look, either you turn up to work and do this or you don't and we lose the contract because that's the only way we got this contract is to guarantee we'd be able to supply X product within Y time. And this is the issue with transport where it's really the top of every supply chain, if it's retail or manufacturing or wherever it might be, uh, that they call all the shots. They're the economic power, but we don't have it. Under our current laws, we've really got a bugger all power in terms of rates, in terms of safety to really hold them to much of an account so all they do is sit there and go we just need the stuff delivered we don't care how you do it just do it and that puts of course the pressure all the way down the train and that and that's where you get these these horrific examples of people being told to forget isolating or just to come in even if they're uh, even if they're positive and then of course the government exacerbated the problem uh by uh taking a sledgehammer to the workplace health and safety rights of people by by just deciding there was one set of rules for people if they were office bound and they could work from home and all the rest but, but the frontline staff, uh, that's when we got told isolation days will drop and, you know, if you, if you, if you, um, if you test positive at, at, after a certain amount of time, just come back into work and, and you know, that, that's, that's when these Band-Aid solutions kept coming in that didn't solve any problems. They, they just made things worse. Mm, I saw those reports a week or so ago about bus drivers and truck drivers being forced um, reports of those drivers being forced back to work even though they had COVID. And I remember thinking at the time, and I'll ask you now, like, how is that legal? I assumed it was not. Like, uh, it sounds extraordinary to me, but those reports came through um, with this huge survey you did with your members and a bunch of transport workers. What were the other sorts of stories that were coming up in this, in that survey? Look, it was only a survey that we, we were really just trying to get a, a health check of where things were up to and how people were, were going. And we, we didn't necessarily think it was it was going to be anything out of the ordinary. But within a very short time, I think we had 2,500 people within days filling this out. And and not, not only not only uh, did we, you know, did we find things like 90% of transport workers were very concerned about changes to um, close contacts whereby people were coming in having been exposed to it and the like and the fact that so many so many workers didn't have access to boosters. But we had these horrific stories come through of these, as I said, bus drivers being forced to drive, of of people being told, oh, well, even though the rule says, you know, you're meant to isolate for X time, you, you, you seem okay, just come on in, we need, we need a warm body in there. And it comes back to, of course, firstly it comes back to not all individual workers are prepared to speak out when the boss is putting the hammer on them. And of course, secondly, that, that you've got these pressures from the top of the chain. And if the top of the chain is saying to a company, you need to do this or you will lose your work. And then the boss says to the individual worker, well, 
it's either you do this or none of us have a job anymore, then then that's when these things happen. And it's always happened in transport. And that's why transport's the deadliest industry in the country. We've had a thousand deaths since the government ripped uh, the road safety watchdog away five years ago. Uh, a government report, by the way, that said 28% of less people will die if you keep this watchdog in place. It ripped it away anyway. So there's 280 lives that would have been saved straight off the bat. But these are the precious transport workers always face, which is, I've got to get this done. I've got to get from this side of the country to the other by this time. And if I'm going to do it and make money, I have to skip rest breaks or I have to not change the tyres for another few thousand Ks or whatever the decision is. And, and sometimes these decisions unfortunately cost their lives or other people's lives. And um, and this is the problem with transport and it's been exacerbated by this pandemic where we, where we see these labour shortages and we hear these horrific stories of people being forced to come into work. Nick, you, you've outlined uh, the pressures and uh, the, the risks of being a transport walk, worker in Australia, particularly at the moment. Are, are you seeing many people just walking away from the industry as a consequence? Yes, we are. The problem with transport is there's a couple of classes of workers. You, you still have got the good union yards whereby people are you know, getting, being paid by the hour, every hour they work, reasonable conditions, good union delegates and density to, to sort of prevent most of these horrific things from happening. But as I said a short while ago, you still have the the issue where a lot of particularly long distance drivers run their own businesses and they have to make it work. And they've had pressures for years and years and years that they've only just hung in there. And this is breaking the camel's back where they say, it's just not worth it anymore. Why am I taking a risk? Why am I mortgaging my house to do a job that, that is putting me under this pressure and now might endanger me through all these different COVID things. So unfortunately, coupled with the fact so many people are out of the workforce because of different COVID issues, you, you then see people leaving. And transport uh, does have a labour shortage before the pandemic, did have a labour shortage before the pandemic, and it's, and of course, made worse now. What's the hope <laughs> before we let you go? Like, how can members of the public support this industry? Yeah, look, there is, and it is safe rates, essentially. That's, that's, safe rates is something this union has campaigned for for a long time. And once again, the real rub of it is that we need to be able to hold supply chains, the top of supply chains with all the economic power to account. It's about getting inside those contracts, making sure companies can make money out of it, making sure workers get properly remunerated uh, from it. And that removes a lot of pressure straight off the bat. So first and foremost, that's the Labor Party policy um, that will be taken to the next election is to reinstate a road safety watchdog with those powers. The second thing is that Senator Glenn Stirl, a great TWU member, but also a great senator from Western Australia, he completed a Senate, well, not just him, but he took his Senate committee around the country for about, it was only supposed to be about 12 months, but with all the different COVID things, about sort of two years or more, he took his committee around the country and he went to every far corner of the country and heard from anyone between, from the, you know, the yard hand all the way through to the owner of um, big supply chains. And he's come up with a set of recommendations, not only about the road safety watchdog, uh, but about how, what we need to do with training, trying to get apprenticeships in, how we need to fix rest stops that either are just poorly maintained or do not exist for truck drivers in many areas. Basic things too, like truck stops not being open past certain times, which means drivers don't get access to food and a rest and a shower and a toilet and all the rest of it. So the whole industry he's looked at, and there's a great set of recommendations that were supported by the majority of the committee that is the roadmap of how to fix this industry. It's not going to be overnight, but if we start work on it uh, in five or so years, I think we'll have a much better industry. But unfortunately, uh, the government has essentially completely ignored it. 
They've got no plans to do anything with the road safety watchdog. They just kind of want to get through this current pandemic, I think, and just let things go back to normal. And, and normal wasn't good pre-pandemic. It's not going to, it's going to be even worse post-pandemic. So I guess my answer, Sally, is vote Labor uh, is really my answer. But that's our hope is that that report gives us the blueprint and that's how we fix this industry. Well, there's one thing we have learned, Nick and Sally, is that given the experience of the last two years and more specifically the last couple of months, We're in a big trouble if our transport workers aren't looked after and can't do their job because uh, suddenly our shelves are empty and life gets a hell of a lot tougher for all of us. Nick McIntosh, we wish you all the best with that campaign and uh, with the upcoming election, and we really appreciate your time on the job. My pleasure. Thanks, Francis and Sally. Thanks, Nick. This is On The Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rudd. Nick McIntosh there from the Transport Workers Union having a conversation with Sally Rugg and myself about just how tough it's been for our truckies, our drivers, our bus drivers, everybody involved in the transport industry and what needs to change. Thanks for being with us for another edition of On The Job. We love your reviews. If you can get to whatever platform you're using, give us a review. It helps other people find the information and the inspiration. And uh, we really appreciate you spreading the word for us. We'll be back with another edition of On The Job next week. Until then, it's bye for now.